If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ruby Frankie was known by millions as a very tough mom. That's exactly the way she wanted it. The social media star amassed a huge following of supporters and detractors alike, preaching the values of strict discipline. But you'll learn in a new podcast available exclusively on Wondery Plus how the small empire built by this momfluencer crumbled the moment her 12-year-old son escaped their home and called 911. Wondery and Law and & Crime bring you the new podcast, The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie, which explores the allegations of starvation, torture, and emotional abuse leveled against Frankie and her business partner, Jody Hildebrandt. Learn about the family's path to stardom, the depravity investigators uncovered inside the home, and hear in-depth analysis of the ongoing criminal trial. Listen to The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie exclusively and ad-free on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 39 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. Listener caution is advised, as this episode contains adult themes and descriptions that some listeners may find distressing. Sometimes a killer can just blend in. Be one of the many faces in a crowd unnoticed by everyone, including the officers desperately searching for them. The person known to many as an unassuming, softly spoken gentleman carries on with his life. Will he ever have to pay the price for what he has done?
after leaving her job as an assistant at the local soap factory six weeks earlier. Lorraine Marguerite Jacob was now looking forward to letting her hair down on a night out with some girlfriends at a local wine bar. At 19, she had a lot of responsibility. She was a single parent to two young children, a 14-month-old daughter named Karen and a baby son called Tony. They lived with Lorraine's mother at 51 Russell Street, not far from Liverpool city centre. That evening, Tuesday, September 1st, 1970, Lorraine began to get ready for her night out. Her mother Mary had agreed to babysit the children. At about 8pm, Lorraine left home, telling her mother she wouldn't be in late. Around 9pm, Lorraine was seen drinking with some friends in Yates's Wine Lodge on Great Charlotte Street, about half a mile into the city. There were further sightings of Lorraine Jacob later that night in a Chinese takeaway and chip shop at 10.30pm, just under a mile south on Great George Street, located outside Liverpool's Chinatown. Not long after, she was spotted on Upper Duke Street, half a mile from home. She would have walked north from the chip shop and turned left. Lorraine appeared to be walking in the direction of Russell Street, back to the arms of her children. The area in the city was densely populated, as it is today. Even though it was late on a Tuesday night, a witness saw Lorraine again, this time on Pilgrim Street, walking alone holding three wrapped portions of chips. She was heading towards Hardman Street around 11pm. This was the last reported sighting that night of Lorraine Jacob. Her mother Mary and two young children expected her home, but she never returned. The rain fell that night. It seeped through the paper of the three bags of chips that were on the floor next to Lorraine's lifeless body. She was laying in a small entry at the back of the Young Women's Christian Association in Rodney Street, which was only a few minutes from her front door. The entry was off another alley, and Lorraine's body was discovered at 8am when two refuse workers walked down the alley to collect the bins. Her body showed signs of bruising, and she looked to have been strangled to death. Her clothes and skin were wet after being exposed to the rain that fell in the early hours of the morning. A small baby's white crochet hat lay on the ground a couple of feet away. Mary Jacob was informed by police at 12.30 that afternoon that her teenage daughter had been found dead not too far from their home. It was up to Mary to identify her child's body. It was noted at the time that some of Lorraine's clothing and personal belongings were missing. Blue underwear, a pair of brown tights and a purse. A home office pathologist determined that Lorraine Jacob died from asphyxia caused by either suffocation 
or strangulation. The Liverpool and Bootle Constabulary set to work immediately, assigning 100 officers to Lorraine Jacobs' murder case. Door-to-door inquiries were made to hundreds of homes in the area. Police circulated 3,500 questionnaires to pubs, shops, clubs and other businesses, hoping that someone in the area had seen something. A week after the teenager's murder, the police force set up a reconstruction using a policewoman to trace Lorraine's last known movements. The walk from the chip shop to Lorraine's home should have only taken her just nine minutes, but the young mother's journey was interrupted by the person who ended her life. Frustratingly, no solid leads came through, despite an appeal being broadcast live to 50,000 football fans watching a match between Liverpool and Manchester United. After a witness sighting, the police were appealing for a man dressed in a Mac to come forward. This individual was stood at the junction of Mount Street and Pilgrim Street, looking into the window of the Shane Gallery, a shop where the two roads met. Detective Chief Superintendent Davis of Liverpool and Bootle CID explained, He was seen by two people and is described as being 46 to 50 years old. Five foot five to five foot six inches tall, with thick dark hair, which appeared to be parted in the centre. He wore a white or beige mac and light coloured shirt. So far, this man has not come forward, and we believe he could help us a great deal in our inquiries. Along with the description, police also issued a photo fit of the suspect. They received a considerable response. But along with genuine tips from well-meaning members of the public, officers also had to sift through prank letters and calls, not to mention correspondence from individuals who did not wish to reveal their identity, though told the press they had information. One such call piqued the interest of the police. Appealing to the public for information following an anonymous telephone call received by the Liverpool Echo newspaper, DCS Davis said, On Saturday at about 1.30pm, a telephone message was received from an anonymous caller who stated he had vital information and would contact the police at 5pm that afternoon. This man has not come forward. I would reiterate that any form of information passed on to us would be treated with every confidence. It is immaterial how unimportant you feel your contribution to this inquiry could be. In the light of other reports... It could be vital. The detective also believed there had been other attacks which victims may not have reported. Although a small percentage of these attacks had not been brought to our attention and they were not serious, the man responsible for the girl's death could be well known. For some reason best known to themselves, these victims have been reluctant to come forward but they may well be withholding extremely vital information which could help in our search for this man. The police were referring to an incident which had happened a few days prior. 
a man with a baby in the back of his car, sexually assaulted two women in Wigan. A police spokesperson drew parallels between the two crimes, saying, there are certain similarities between this attack and the attack on the two Wigan girls. A man also reached out to police admitting to giving Lorraine and a friend of hers a short lift to the chip shop after they left the wine bar. Described simply as Tony, the male, along with his friends, were quickly cleared of any wrongdoing, as Lorraine had been seen alone in the chip shop afterwards, though witnesses said when she left it seemed like she was looking for someone. The police were also interested in tracking down two girls and one boy in their early teens who were waiting to be served in the shop at the same time as Lorraine, sometime between 10.30 and 11pm. To find the youths, police visited schools in the area. A 24-hour telephone hotline was set up in which tips were reviewed and acted on every day. Liverpool detectives put in an incredible amount of unpaid overtime going door-to-door hoping to find Lorraine's killer and to continue with their then-exemplary track record of solving murder cases. It was reported at the time that the police had solved all of the 15 murders committed in the city in as many months. Still, without a murder suspect, the possibilities seemed endless. Detectives considered that as Lorraine Jacob wandered home with her chips, she got close to Liverpool's red light district. They considered that perhaps she had been approached by a man that became enraged when she refused to provide sexual services so he killed her. They also postulated the murder had not taken place where Lorraine's body was found. Instead, Lorraine was transported somewhere else, killed, then taken back to the spot where she was picked up, and then her body was disposed of in the alleyway. Time passed, almost a year, and determined to stress that Lorraine's murder had not been forgotten, a police spokesperson told the press, The matter will never be forgotten or closed as long as there are police officers in this city. Still, despite their exhaustive efforts, the person responsible for Lorraine Jacobs' death was not identified. In fact, the investigation wasn't even close. The case went cold. True to their word, the newly coined Merseyside Police Force reviewed the case periodically, but for almost four decades they were no further forward in finding an answer. In February 2008 they reopened Lorraine Jacobs' case file. They thought it possible that Peter Tobin, who had murdered three young women and was suspected of killing many more, could be linked to Lorraine's death. However, a few weeks after opening the case, a breakthrough came. But it wasn't Tobin who was responsible. In fact, the vital clues were passed to the police almost 38 years after the crime.
22 miles southwest from Liverpool city centre. Two decorators were employed to clear out the belongings of an elderly man called Harvey Richardson. Richardson had died in a hospice aged 77 after losing a battle with colon cancer earlier that month. His home on Reservoir Street, Aspel in Wigan, was to be emptied of his personal items and hundreds of books. The unassuming man had passed away with a dark secret that didn't come to light until after he died. The decorators were about to uncover it. An aged nine-page letter was found amongst some newspaper clippings. It was a detailed murder confession. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. The number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulties swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ruby Frankie was known by millions as a very tough mom. That's exactly the way she wanted it. The social media star amassed a huge following of supporters and detractors alike preaching the values of strict discipline. But you'll learn in a new podcast available exclusively on Wondery Plus how the small empire built by this momfluencer crumbled the moment her 12-year-old son escaped their home and called 911. Wondery and Law & Crime bring you the new podcast, The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie. 
which explores the allegations of starvation, torture, and emotional abuse leveled against Frankie and her business partner, Jody Hildebrandt. Learn about the family's path to stardom, the depravity investigators uncovered inside the home, and hear in-depth analysis of the ongoing criminal trial. Listen to the rise and fall of Ruby Frankie exclusively and ad-free on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Harvey Richardson was not a suspect in Lorraine Jacobs' murder, nor had he been on the police radar for that crime, or any other for that matter. His record was clean of any convictions, and he was only cautioned by law enforcement once in his life, perhaps 60 years before, with a minor incident of public intoxication. Detective Superintendent Ian Kemble, who was leading the inquiry into Lorraine Jacobs' murder, spoke at a press conference following the discovery of the letter. Though declining to relay the entire contents of the confession, he provided some detail regarding the writing material itself. He said the handwritten letter was on A5 lined paper and the detailed confession was penned over nine sides. The ageing of the paper had led him to believe that it wasn't written recently, stating it appeared to suggest it had not been written in the last five or six years. D.S. Kemble did not want to speculate and was open to any and all possibilities. He said the note could be quite accurately described as a confession to the murder of Lorraine in 1970. The letter was sent for forensic analysis. The results from DNA testing on other items that were discovered in Harvey Richardson's home were expected to come back in just over a month. After announcing the finding of the letter in the press conference, Detective Superintendent Kemble continued with an appeal to the public. We are particularly interested in speaking to anyone who knew Harvey Richardson at the time of the murder, either socially or as a work colleague, as the information they could have could be vital, he said. We believe that Mr Richardson lived in Huskisson Street, Toxteth at the time of the murder and worked in a restaurant possibly called The Mariners, which is believed to have been in North John Street, in the city centre. With the discovery of a potential confession, a solicitor for Lorraine Jacobs' family addressed the press on their behalf. Robin Makin stated, Stress has been the overriding emotion for Lorraine's family over the last three months. The relief may only come once the whole process is over. Thankfully, the family are very close and solidly together. There hasn't been a case quite like this that I've come across where this sort of discovery has been made after such a long period of time. The family had doubts that people who knew Harvey Richardson all those years ago would actually come forward. We do have some concerns over how the police expect to find people with knowledge of this man who lived in Liverpool nearly 40 years ago. But the family do urge anyone who has information, no matter how insignificant it may seem, to speak to police. Harvey Richardson 
was described as a polite, softly spoken person who liked to keep himself to himself. He was a man that had spent a lot of time with his books in his home. Some people said he was a loner. Richardson died an old man, but he was 39 when Lorraine Jacob, 20 years his junior, was murdered. His life was chronicled by the Liverpool Echo, but there appeared to be no outward signs he was capable of or had committed a murder. As far as it is known, it was a secret he took to his grave. Born on December 10th, 1930, Harvey Richardson was raised in Littleborough, a town in Rochdale located among the hills and moorland of the South Pennines. His family moved to Rivington near Bolton when his father secured a job as a chest surgeon and radiologist. For the first few years of his life, Richardson's mother worked as a stay-at-home parent and the two developed a close relationship that continued until she died in the mid-90s. Throughout his life, Richardson had mental health issues and his mother took it upon herself to try and protect her son. Even when she died, she made provisions to make sure he was taken care of. When his mother passed, the responsibility for Richardson's care was given to other family members. The last home he lived in before becoming gravely ill with bowel cancer was the one his mother left him in trust and the place where the confession was discovered. In the late 1950s, Liverpool became his home as Richardson studied to be a librarian. After two years of study, he chose to move to Manchester, but nearly a decade on he returned to Liverpool to complete his course at the Liverpool College of Commerce. At this time in his late 30s, to support his studies, he was bringing in money by working as a waiter at a restaurant called The Mariners, and coincidentally had previously worked at Yates's Wine Lodge on Great Charlotte Street, where Lorraine Jacob went for a drink on the evening she was murdered. September 1st, 1970 was a pivotal day for Harvey Richardson. He failed the librarianship exams he had been studying for. And more importantly, it was the day the police believe he committed murder. Subsequently, he left Liverpool for the suburbs of Manchester until 1981, when he left England to teach English in Germany. He was already an amateur linguist who taught himself Russian. His interest sparked a new vocation. He came home to study languages at Manchester Polytechnic, now Manchester Metropolitan University. Richardson also had a family of his own, fathering two daughters, Edith and Mary, and possibly a son. After he died in a hospice, his funeral was held on Friday, February 22, 2008. His daughter Edith spoke about the father she knew. He was a quiet sort of person. He didn't want to put anyone out. But if you got him talking on the subjects he loved, like languages or history, he would chat for hours. A neighbour also said, Harvey was the perfect neighbour. He was a bit of a loner and rarely had visitors. I couldn't believe it when the story came out linking him to murder. 
as decorators John Doherty and his teenage assistant started to sort through Harvey Richardson's personal effects. They realised they had a mammoth task. Hundreds of books filled the house. Nothing out of the ordinary, until one of them discovered a brown leather satchel stowed on top of the wardrobe. They opened the bag and discovered a yellowing envelope with the words private and confidential written across it. Inside the envelope was an unsigned and undated confession to Lorraine Jacobs' murder. Rummaging through the contents of the satchel, there was a cardboard folder containing press clippings almost 40 years old relating to Lorraine's death. The satchel revealed yet more secrets. The decorators found a World War II pistol and some blue women's underwear. An item of clothing that didn't seem relevant on its own, but considering the written confession and the stack of news clippings, the garments certainly aroused suspicion. The decorators didn't call the police straight away, not knowing time was of the essence. Harvey Richardson was to be cremated. Police would need his body to perform a DNA test to positively link him to the crime. A day passed as the decorator's assistant searched the internet for the unsolved crime mentioned in the letter and clippings. That's when they went to the Greater Manchester Police, who decided, in turn, to pass the new information over to the Merseyside Police Force. Thankfully, they managed to get a sample of Richardson's DNA before it was lost forever. Amongst the news clippings about Lorraine Jacobs' murder, there was one that stood out. The cutting was about the unsolved 1970 death of Jacqueline Ansel Lamb. 18-year-old Jackie wanted to hitchhike from London to her home in Manchester on March 8, 1970, a method of getting place to place, far more popular and socially acceptable in the 60s and 70s. A witness said he saw Jackie get into a saloon car sometime between 4 and 5pm at Keel Services motorway station on the M6. In a further witness sighting, a female who matched Jackie's description was seen with a man in the Poplar Transport Cafe in High Lee near Knutsford later that evening. The police issued an identikit image of the man who was seen with Jackie in the cafe. They were looking for an individual in his 20s, 5 feet 9 inches tall of medium build, dressed in a dark suit. Police believed he could have been driving a white Jaguar. The third and possible final sighting of Jackie Ansel Lamb was of her trying to hitch a ride on the A556 Manchester to Chester Road, about a mile away from where her body was found five days later. The sad discovery was made by a farmer, Ted Whitaker. As he fed hay to his sheep around 9.30pm, he came across something unexpected. Discarded women's clothing on a rural road near Squarewood in Nutsford, Cheshire. The teenager's sexually assaulted and strangled body was found face down close by. The years passed and the case went unsolved 
with some suspecting serial killer Peter Sutcliffe's involvement when he was apprehended for murdering 13 women 10 years later. Although after many years a link was found through DNA. Jackie's case was linked to another unsolved murder that occurred once again in 1970. A second young female hitchhiker travelling north was killed. 24-year-old trainee teacher Barbara Mayo left Hendon, North London on October 12th hoping to catch a ride to Catterick, North Yorkshire, a journey of around 220 miles. She planned to collect her boyfriend's car from a garage in Catterick, but she never arrived. Instead, Barbara's body was discovered in a wood off Hodmire Lane near Alt Hucknell in Derbyshire. Like Jackie and Sulam, Barbara too had been sexually assaulted and strangled. But unlike Jackie, Barbara had a wound to the back of her skull. After the news clippings of Jackie Ansel Lamb's murder were found in Harvey Richardson's bag, there was speculation he was involved. But so far, nothing definitive has come to light, linking him to the crimes against either Jackie Ansel Lamb or Barbara Mayo. Harvey Richardson never owned a car or even learned to drive. He would always use public transport to travel. Both Jackie and Barbara were disposed of in places where a vehicle would have been essential. In contrast, Lorraine Jacob was left where she was killed. Scott Lomax, who authored the book Unsolved Murders in and Around Derbyshire, wrote a chapter about the murder of Barbara Mayer. When interviewed, he said, Whilst the police have considered a possible link between the murders of Lorraine Jacob, Barbara Mayo and Jackie Ansel Lamb, they seem to have now dismissed the theory that they may have been killed by the same man. My research, however, suggests they should reconsider their view on her death. The night detailed in the confession from Harvey Richardson appeared to span a maximum of 90 minutes on Tuesday, September 1st, 1970. Richardson had been drinking all that day. He was drowning his sorrows after learning he had failed his librarianship exams. He wrote that he walked to Upper Duke Street, a street that Lorraine Jacob walked down that night to get home. Richardson wrote that he went there to meet Women friends. Police think that he meant sex workers. The 26 paragraphs of the letter went on, detailing the night and the murder of Lorraine Jacob. Richardson crossed paths with her on Pilgrim Street. He wrote she seemed quite startled and an argument broke out. Police later found out they knew each other. In fact, The anger was sparked over an incident two months before. Lorraine and a friend went to visit Harvey Richardson at his bedsit. 
They were permitted entry by the landlady's son and were told to wait in the communal area as Richardson was not home. The pair decided to go into his room and take two cameras that belonged to Richardson. When he arrived home, he realised his cameras were missing and when the landlady's son gave a description of the women that had come looking for Richardson, he knew who they were. The reason Lorraine Jacob took the cameras is that Harvey Richardson had taken a photo of her children, along with those of other women, at an earlier date. Police later confirmed they believed there weren't any sinister motivations behind the photographs. The weeks rolled by, and Richardson and Lorraine didn't meet again until they crossed paths two and a half months later, when Lorraine was walking home. The confession said they walked to Rodney Street and down an alleyway still arguing. Harvey Richardson lunged at Lorraine, strangling her. A lifeless body falling to the hard paving slabs on the ground. He then decided to tear off her brown tights. Some reports say Lorraine Jacob was sexually assaulted, and some, including police statements, make no mention of it. Richardson took Lorraine's purse from her handbag and her blue underwear, the same pair he kept, found in the satchel on his wardrobe almost 40 years later. The confession detailed how he disposed of the tights by flinging them onto a tree branch. In Lorraine's purse, he discovered a ticket for Bigger's Pawn Shop, a place where Richardson believed Lorraine had taken his cameras. He decided not to find out if this were true and cut the ticket up and flushed it down the toilet. Richardson then disposed of the leather purse by cutting it up into tiny pieces and throwing it away. The letter was detailed and well written, almost coming across as a short fictional story rather than a confession, though it did contain information that had not been made public and only the killer could have known. Paper age analysis revealed that the letter had been penned and sealed not long after the murder of Lorraine Jacob. Detective Superintendent Ian Kemble, who led the inquiry, confirmed the confession contained no apologies and no remorse. Speaking about Richardson, D.S. Kemble said, I don't believe he has disclosed this to anybody. I don't think he ever wanted that document to be discovered and was taking the secret to his grave. D.S. Kemble later spoke about the murder investigation and the challenges the inquiry faced. The note and the knickers on their own were not enough, so we had to investigate everything that was contained in the confession. The gun found in his possession was not linked to any other crimes, and it turned out to be an air gun. Detailing the public's response to the appeal for information on Richardson, D.S. Kemble said, The response we had was startling. This was a murder that was at the time 37 years old, yet a lot of people came forward and helped fill in the gaps. Officers spent a year investigating Harvey Richardson, piecing together his past, his lifestyle, and crucially the last moments of Lorraine Jacobs' life. 
They discovered how Harvey Richardson was seen by acquaintances, and it was at odds with the compulsive murderer who killed the teenager in a fit of rage. He was a softly spoken, well-educated man, but always kept to the edge of friendship groups. D.S. Kemble explained, He had a number of platonic relationships with women who said he was always courteous, a gentleman. He was a very deep and intellectual man, but he is a man who lived with a very dark secret for 37 years, up until his death. It means a lot to me to close this case for the Jacob family. I cannot appreciate the suffering they have been through all these years and hope this outcome will bring them some comfort. Lorraine Jacob left a young family behind when she was murdered. They spent almost four decades not knowing why their mother was killed or who murdered her. After Harvey Richardson's satchel was found, they opted not to speak to the press directly, corresponding through their solicitor. Robin Makin said, This is a jigsaw that needs solving. There are enough pieces to make the picture. So where are we now? The Crown Prosecution Service said there was enough evidence for Harvey Richardson to face a charge of murder if he were alive. A charge only issued if they were confident the accused could be convicted. Head of the CPS Complex Case Unit provided a statement. Colin Davis said, Following the forensic evidence and the thorough investigation by the police, I decided there was sufficient evidence to justify prosecution in the case of Harvey Richardson for the murder of Lorraine Jacob in the event that he was still alive. Were he alive, he would of course be entitled to a fair trial and it would be for a court to decide whether the prosecution had proved the case beyond a reasonable doubt. We hope this decision goes some way to providing a sense of closure to the family of Lorraine Jacob who have been informed of our decision. We have also ensured the family of Harvey Richardson have been kept fully up to date throughout and they too are aware of our decision. Though there was some resolution to the case, there were aspects that disappointed Lorraine Jacobs' family. They gave some photographs of Lorraine and other personal items to officers to help with the investigation. They were never returned the family solicitor made a short statement. Unfortunately, they do not have closure and have a number of concerns. In short, the family have issues that still require a satisfactory resolution. Merseyside Police issued a response from Assistant Chief Constable Patricia Gallon. Naturally, I understand that after 38 years, the family are finding it difficult to come to terms with this latest development and I can only begin to try and understand the pain and distress they have suffered over the years following their loss. Sometimes murder cases can't be tied up neatly with a bow. Harvey Richardson died without confessing what he did in a court of law, nor was he ever suspected. 
without the written confession and the decorators going to the police, Lorraine Jacobs' death would have forever remained a mystery. Though at least now investigators can close the case, and Lorraine Jacobs' family finally know what happened to their loved one. Thank you for listening, and special thanks to our Patreon supporters. If you have enjoyed the show and are looking for a free way to support They Walk Among Us, please consider leaving a five-star review on your podcast player, or share the podcast on social media so we can reach a wider audience. Information on this episode can be found in the show notes or on our website, theywalkamonguspodcast.com. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Ruby Frankie was known by millions as a very tough mom. That's exactly the way she wanted it. The social media star amassed a huge following of supporters and detractors alike, preaching the values of strict discipline. But you'll learn in a new podcast available exclusively on Wondery Plus how the small empire built by this momfluencer crumbled the moment her 12-year-old son escaped their home and called 911. Wondery and Law and & Crime bring you the new podcast, The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie, which explores the allegations of starvation, torture, and emotional abuse leveled against Frankie and her business partner, Jody Hildebrandt. Learn about the family's path to stardom, the depravity investigators uncovered inside the home, and hear in-depth analysis of the ongoing criminal trial. Listen to The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie exclusively and ad-free on Wondery+. Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.